Would you please take a seat? If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the Gospel of John chapter 20. Now those of you that are visiting or those of you, this is the first Sunday uh, concerning Easter week, concerning Holy Week, concerning Passion Week. We began actually a week and a half ago and the Lord just led me to go into the Gospel of John. And so two Wednesdays ago, we began in John chapter 12, and we looked at Mary and Martha as they're at a supper at Simon the leper's house. And we know that Jesus is the guest of honor at the supper, and we also know that Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, has risen from the dead. Scholars tell us that it's probably two months after and so they're here celebration. Martha is very busy working. She's serving, laying out the table and doing whatever needs to be done, cooking and mending. And yet her sister Mary took time to worship the Lord. And not just any worship. It was special. I believe that the Holy Spirit was leading her. Mary, I want you to worship the Lord. I want you to anoint his feet. You have to see uh, the culture at the time. When you came in to someone's house in the Middle East during the time of the New Testament, you have to remember there's no roads. And so your feet were always dirty. You wore open sandals and such. And so when you would come in, I would greet you. And usually it was the servant of the house. And they would take off your shoes and they would wash your feet in a basin of water. And then they would take a towel and they would dry your feet. Mary did the complete opposite. She went to Jesus and she had this alabaster box. And she had one pound of costly oil. It was called spikenard. And she broke it open and she anointed at the feet of Jesus. But she wasn't finished yet. We know that Judas Iscariot was there and he said that money could have been given and sold to, uh, speaking of the spikenard, sold and the money given to the poor. But he didn't care about the poor. All he cared about was the money. He was a thief, the Bible says. But Mary used it. I want you to see the significance. The Bible says that it was about 300 denarii worth. That was one year's wages at the time. She saved it for this particular day, knowingly or unknowingly. But now the Holy Spirit is directing her, anoint the feet of Jesus. Once she anointed the feet of Jesus, the whole pound of spike dart, it just covered the room. The aroma, the fragrance, the odor was just fantastic. It filled the house. And I'm thinking, what about people that are walking outside of the house? You know, ladies, when you cook something good, if you've ever baked bread, it seems like everybody smells it. Or your neighbor's barbecuing and you go, wow, how can I get invited, you know? <laughs> the house was filled with the fragrance of spikenard. Now it was time for Mary to dry Jesus' feet. She didn't take a towel, but she took her hair. And again, ladies, listen, in the Middle East customs, she lets her hair down. She takes the veil off. 
the hair of the woman was her covering. The hair of the woman was her glory. And then to take her hair down in front of all the other men was unheard of. And she dried Jesus' feet. The Bible tells us that she was preparing Jesus for the day of his crucifixion, death, and then the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That's what we're celebrating. And then after Wednesday, we headed on to Sunday, and we stayed in John chapter 12. And we traditionally call it Palm Sunday. The scriptures declared that it was the triumphal entry of Christ, very significant, because the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled to the exact day. Scholars say the exact day. April the 6th, 32 A.D. Now, can it fluctuate a day one way or the other? It could easily do. But we know that there's this triumphal entry. And they took palm branches and they cast them before Jesus. Jesus is riding in a donkey that's never been ridden. A colt of a donkey. The people took off their garments and, and took off blankets or whatever they had and they put it. Now, when you speak about the palm branches, they speak about victory. Palm branches just don't break. The palm trees, that is, they sway, but they won't break. And they herald him. The Messianic cry in Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, is saved now. And we know less than a week later, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, but crucify him. How fickle man's heart is. And then we continued from Sunday, and we came back on Wednesday, and then we went to John chapter 13. Now, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, and he took a basin of water. He took his outer garments off, and then he took a towel, and he girded himself. All of this is the position of a servant. It was generally the lowest task of that servant in the house. It was unheard of. They should have got up and washed Jesus' feet, but he washed their feet. And then he took a towel and he dried their feet. And he didn't say to continue this. There are those that have foot washing services, but do you see what I'm doing? This is an example. Follow it. And that's what the church is to do. Wash others' feet. And that's by being a servant unto the Lord. We gathered back on Good Friday that is celebrated in many, many churches. We've done it for years. We come in and we hear a message. And I took the message again following John, the Gospel of John chapter 18 and chapter 19. And we spoke about Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. I still have this cold. He's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he's tried. It's a mock trial. He's found guilty, guilty of nothing. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we know that they crucified him. After the service was over on Friday, we asked the people to go uh, to our cross over here. We have another cross that we put on top of it. And so we had nails placed in that. Everybody in our church would reenact what happened to Jesus because our sins or would put him on the cross. And then you came here in the front, and we had the elements for, 
communion and we partook of the bread and the cup together. All this was in celebration of Good Friday. And now we come this morning, Resurrection Sunday. We're going to look at John chapter 20, uh, the empty tomb, and that he is risen from the dead. Now, I've had the privilege and some of others in, in our fellowship uh, to go to Israel. And when you go to Israel, uh, we generally do uh, one day of uh, flying there. I was going to say driving there. One day that we fly, and then we spend 10 days there. And then we, again, fly home. But we cover as much as possible in Israel. The conclusion, in fact, that it's the last day, the next day we'll fly out. We go to Gordon's tomb. It's the garden of a man named Gordon. He was a Brit that found it. It's right next to the hill of the skull. It's right next to Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. It's called Mount Moriah. It's called Mount Calvary. And this garden, the tomb is off to the side. And this is where they possibly buried Jesus. The tomb belonged basically to a man called Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man that had come to know Christ. I've been inside that tomb, and some of you have been inside that tomb. Many have been inside the tomb. We're going to see the description that Mary had to stoop down to get into the tomb. Peter and John had to stoop down. When I go, I get a privilege of watching the people in our tour, and they go in, and I watch them all stoop down. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, she's five foot nothing, and she had to stoop down. So significant. Uh, there's a track right below it. And there in that track would have been this stone that the angels would have rolled away. We don't know where the stone's at. We don't know if this is the tomb, but the effects are tremendous. You see the chisel marks that go from the side of the stone because it was hewn out of a rock. And it is big enough to hold a family in there. This is where the body of Christ if it's not that tomb, it would have been a tomb of that nature. Now, I can testify to you that it's empty. He's not there. He has risen. This is a story that has run for the last 2,000 years, and yet today there are those that don't believe. And so here in John chapter 20, this is what we celebrate. Such a beautiful time. And so we begin here in verse 1. Now, uh, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, beautiful lady, uh, went to the tomb early. And she describes how early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. As I mentioned, Mark chapter 16, and then Luke chapter 24, says that the stone was rolled away. And so you see that track that's right before you, on the bottom there, and it just comes to life. But I, I want to speak a little bit about Mary Magdalene. Now, there, the other Gospels will tell you there was a group of ladies. They came back to the tomb. It's customary. They want to dress the body, and they're going to anoint the body. But when she goes, she finds not, not the body of Christ, but she sees the empty tomb. Oh, she sees... Uh, 
the napkin that covered his head. And she also sees the linen cloth. But the body of Christ is not there. But it's interesting to me that the first person to encounter Jesus, the risen Christ, is Mary Magdalene. You see, ladies and gentlemen, women were second-class citizens. They were not considered much. The men ruled and did everything. And yet Jesus rose again into the first person, Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus had cast out seven demons from this woman. She was very grateful. When she sees him, she's not going to want to let go of him. Let's continue here now. Uh, Then she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. This is John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they may have laid him. Where were the men? We're going to see that they were hiding. We're going to see that they were in fear. You have to understand that, you know, their master, their, their Messiah, even though they didn't quite understand, he's dead. He's been crucified. They witnessed this. What's going to happen to us now? We're the followers of Christ. We're his disciples. They're going to kill us. They're hiding. But I love the women. Their concern is, we want to go dress the body. But she comes back and tells all the rest. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, this is John again, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. Now, men, you're going to love this because we we like challenges. This is Peter and John. They both ran together now after Mary had told them. And the other disciple outran Peter. And he came to the tomb first. John is obviously the writer, and he has to boast a little bit. Guys, you know, now I'm not going to challenge anybody for a, a, a foot race. No way. But back in the day when you're a kid, boy, you don't want... Nobody to beat you, no matter how. You'll trip them, you'll do anything you can. This is John now. I'm the one that beat him, you know. But they both ran together, and they want to go see what's going on. Uh, Notice now, when they get to the tomb, and he, stooping down, I like that, and looking in. They didn't go in, but looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, and yet he did not go in. And so we know it's the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but he just enough to see what is going on here. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went uh, into the tomb. Now Peter goes in. And I want you to see the words here. He saw... It's very emphatic here in the Greek. He saw the linen cloth lying there. The Greek is telling us he didn't just see it, but he studied it. He looked into it. He pondered on it. He spent some time, and he's going, what is going on? And I'm going to describe why he had to study it. The napkin is here for the head, but it's intact, but there's no head. And the linen cloth was there for the wrapping of the body. And it's there. It's intact. Because two angels are going to be, one at the head and one at the feet. But there's no body inside. 
If you understand the cocoon effect, I believe that's what they're seeing. And so John is studying the situation. What is going on here? They don't remember the times that Jesus told them that he was going to leave, but that he would return. There has to be a lot of frustration uh, that's going on at this time. He saw, he studied, he pondered the linen cloth lying there. And then it says this napkin and the handkerchief or the napkin that had been around his head, not lying there with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. The King James calls it a napkin. The New King James uses the word handkerchief. But it was just lying there uh, empty, not unraveled, separate from the rest of the body. The rest of the body was covered with a linen cloth, and it was empty, not unraveled. And so I want you to think, what are they seeing? How can this be? The Holy Spirit hasn't come upon them yet. It's not till the book of Acts chapter 2. They were hiding. They're fearful. And then verse 8 says, Then the other disciple, this is John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he studied. But it says something different here. He saw, and then he believed. And I believe him and Peter were conversing back and forth. I love the, the John here. Follow suit. He's following what Peter's doing. Mary. These are the three significance right now. The rest will see it. But I want you to take a look at ourselves. Do we see some? We look at the scriptures. Do we investigate? Do we search the scriptures? We hear something on the radio. We hear something on television. We get a CD. We read a book, whatever it might be. Do we search? Or do we just take things for granted? The scriptures are there for us to read. The scriptures are there for us to to discern. The scriptures are there for us. There must be application. So when the Bible says you must be born again, what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? Notice that now Peter, now John, and they both saw, they both investigated. They didn't just see it. They looked into it. But John says, we believed. We believed. We believe. That's what the whole key is in verse 9 now. For yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Now we've been looking at this series that we started preparing for Resurrection Sunday, which is today. We started in the Gospel of John chapter 12. Now we're up to John chapter 20. And we search the scriptures. We understand the scriptures. But we made reference to the disciples. Not all of them understood. It's the same with us. And I shared with the first service and I've shared in my testimony. I started reading the scriptures because I was challenged in 1976. But it wasn't until 1979 that I truly accepted Christ. And then all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit takes over your life. You're not just reading, but you're discerning. 
you're not just reading and discerning, but making application. Uh, I hope and pray when you call yourself a Christian, you're not the same man or the same woman that was last year. There has to be change. There has to be transformation. There has to be metamorphosis. Don't tell me you're drinking and becoming an alcoholic and doing drugs or fornicating or living with a man. We've had so much of that in our church, and we have to address it. And then you tell me you're a Christian? There has to be change. This Mary Magdalene changed. She was some type of a whoremonger. Seven demons in this woman. And so now, uh, they didn't know the scriptures that he might rise again from the dead, yet he told them. And it's not until the book of Acts in chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And you study the scriptures. There was 120 there. Included in that 120 is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then brothers and sisters were there. They had to come to saving grace also. You cannot be in the upper room receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you're born again. You have to come to saving grace. And so we see the family of Christ after. But the scriptures come alive once you are born again and once the Holy Spirit begins to teach you, to lead you, and to guide you into all truth. Verse 10 now. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. Fear is there. They're hiding. We're going to see that. They're behind locked doors. Why are they fearful? Because their concerns that they killed Jesus, they're going to kill us. We're next. What is going on in the Middle East today? You come to Christ in the morning sometimes, and they're crucifying some, burning others, chopping heads off. This is the day, 21st century, in our time. We're so free in Christ to come to church here in America. Could it change? <coughs> Excuse me. Look at the struggles that are happening in Europe. It's just beginning. The tip of the iceberg, as they say. I, I believe all of this is leading up to the seven years of tribulation that are coming. Is the church going to be here? I hope not, but what if we are? Are we ready for the trials that are coming? Hard trials. Can I, I ask this question of myself. Can I respond, I am a Christian, I am serving Christ, knowing that you're going to take my head off? These are the challenges of so many in the church today. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Now, we come to Mary Magdalene. She's going to see, she's the first one that sees the risen Christ. Look at verse 11 now. And I love this, he goes, but Mary stood outside by the tomb, and she's weeping, she's crying, and she wept. And then she stooped down, and she looked into the tomb. She had not still entered the tomb. And now she sees two angels, and this is why I said that how the linen is laid out, and also the napkin, two angels in white uh, sitting there, one at the head and the other one at the feet. And she says, where's the body of Jesus had slain? 
They're right there. I believe it's a cocoon effect. I believe that the, the napkin is intact. That's what the Hebrew and the, uh, the Greek is showing us. And then the linen is intact. You can't take away from that. But there's not a body inside. And Mary knows that there should have been. Notice verse 12. And she saw the two angels there just sitting. In verse 13, then they said to her, these are the angels, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. Listen to the respect. She calls Jesus Lord. He's dead. But she still calls him Lord. Kurios in the Greek. Master. Mary had this deep compassion and love. Please be careful with the heresy that's being taught out there, those that are saying that Mary and Jesus were husband and wife. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what the scriptures teach. But they try to bring that across so that they can uh, interpret the scriptures the way uh, they please. Because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. In verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around from the angels, basically, and she saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Christ. I'm thinking, Jesus has the garments that were worn at the time. A lot of times there was a shawl over their head or a hood of some type. They were kind of elongated here. The face is covered. The sleeves are very big and long. And they're in this tomb. She thinks it's the gardener. Because as we go on, in verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She still doesn't know. She was supposing him to be the gardener. And she said to him, notice, she doesn't call him kurios. She doesn't call him Lord. She thinks this is the gardener. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. I, I love Mary. She's not thinking of Peter and John. Lady, she says, I'll take Jesus. I'll carry him out. Let me take his body. I'll dress it. The ladies are out there. They'll help me. She's not holding back. I love this. I believe Jesus was speaking here. She thinks it's the gardener, and he's speaking with authority. Woman, why are you weeping? What are you seeking? And then in verse 16, it changes. It totally changes. Jesus said to her, Mary, and I believe it's a commanding voice. Mary, and she had to respond. She turned and she said to him, Rabboni meaning teacher, meaning master, which is to say teacher. Jesus used a commanding voice. If you're taking notes, in John chapter 10, it's, the whole chapter is so beautiful. Jesus is our true shepherd. In verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens the door, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep, listen to this, by name. Mary heard her name. 
supposing he was the gardener, not now. When Jesus said, Mary, there was a commanding voice. She heard that voice before. The sheep hear your voice. Uh, I have four girls. They're all grown up. They know my voice. They hear my voice. I also have a distinct whistle that I used when they were kids. And now I do it to my grandchildren. They say, Grandpa, do it again, do it again. And my kids are going, don't coax him. Leave him alone. He'll do it all afternoon. <laughs> but they know your voice. Now, listen, my mom would call me when I was a kid. Guys, you know this. I'll be right there, Mom. She calls you again. Mom, I'll be right there. And this would go on all afternoon sometimes. But when my dad called, you paid attention. My dad is ex-military. My dad is ex-sergeant. Uh, my dad is an ex-trainer. He, he, he was a drill sergeant. And, and I mean, you didn't say no. You snapped. You better move. So when dad called with a commanding voice, you took heed. Mary, she's responding. The sheep know the shepherd. They know the voice. Jesus said, Mary, and it had to be very commanding. She responds, Rabboni. Look at verse 17 now. Jesus said to, to her, Do not cling to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending uh, to my father, which is Abba, and your father, which is Abba, and to my God and your God. I want you to see the relationship here. Please don't blame Mary, but she's holding on. She doesn't want to let go. Jesus said, Mary, you have to let me go. I can't stay. There must be an ascension. We know that Jesus is going to stay in the area of the Galilee for 40 days, a post-resurrection. Everybody sees him. He eats bread with them. He eats fish with them. He eats honeycomb with them. He partakes of the beverages and such. He's in a spiritual body. And yet he partook. And that's a picture for us when we get to heaven. I've had people tell me through the years, well, you know, what are we going to do in heaven? And they're going to give me a harp. And I'm going to jump from one cloud to another cloud. Oh, I think we have no idea. You know, Paul the Apostle, in the book of Corinthians, to the letters to the Corinthians, he went to heaven. The Bible says he went to the third heaven. When he came back, he says, I can't tell you what I saw. Not that I don't want to tell you, but I can't describe it. I can tell you this. There's going to be streets of gold. That's incredible. We, we account gold as a top commodity in our country, in our lifetime. And we use what? Asphalt to make our streets. <laughs> streets of gold. Beautiful, beautiful. But when she saw Jesus, she clung on to him. She did not want to let him go. But in verse 17, I see something very distinctive also. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to my Father but through me. This is called a relationship. And here in verse 17, Mary, I have to ascend, uh, number one, to my Father. But go tell the brethren and say to them, I'm ascending back to my Father Abba and your Father and to my God and your God. There's a relationship. 
Jesus said, you cannot get to my Father unless you first go through me. Beautiful. In verse 18, finally, then Mary Magdalene came and she told the disciples that she, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Jesus had not spoken to Peter and John. Jesus had not spoken to any of the other disciples, but he spoke to a woman. He spoke to Mary Magdalene. Very, very comforting. Women want to be set free just like men want to be set free. Jesus at the cross has set us free. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's no difference between a man or a woman. And people say, well, you know, the Bible's all about men. No, no. Go back to the genealogies. Interesting that in the genealogies, there's women. And these women were not of good reputation, but they had come to saving grace. It's not about the pure blood. It's not about the blood, you know. I, I always get a kick out of the kings and the queens and all that in Europe and England. Oh, you know, the queen. Hey, she's a sinner just like I am. She has to come to the cross just like you do. Amazing. God has set us free through his son, Jesus Christ. Now the commission in John chapter 20 to the disciples. I love this. Again, John just kind of gives us a concise version of the resurrection on Sunday morning. I mean, it's kind of tough for us. But this is why we always encourage, and this is, uh, I think last year we taught our Luke on Passion Week, and then prior to that, Matthew. And so we try to get all the different Gospels, and that's the key. Go and study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how the story just comes to life. With all four Gospels, it's important to me. I hope it's important to you. And so now the Great Commission, and this is just a small portion. And then the same day at the evening, this is the whole day. Being evening now, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, and it tells us why they've been shut in now, uh, for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he said to them, and I want you to mark it. This is the first time. It's going to be twice, three times that he says this phrase, peace be to you. Peace be to you. They're fearful. They're behind closed doors. They're talking amongst themselves. They killed Jesus. We saw it. They crucified him. We saw him beaten. We saw him spit upon. We saw everything. What about us now? Is this going to happen to us? And Jesus does say in the scriptures, if I suffered, you're going to suffer also. I love our Christian family here at Calvary Chapel. And yet we have those in our midst that have a lot of sickness, disease, infirmity, a lot of cancer. But it's those trials, those tribulations, the hardship that has brought so many to Christ. Because we have a choice when something evil, something, something desperate, uh, 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 cancer comes to me, I have a choice now. I can run to God or I can run from God. And so many people blame God. You can't blame God for cancer. 
Go back to Genesis. God had set it all up perfectly that man would live in peace and tranquility. And, and I mean, they didn't even wear clothes in Genesis. But then sin entered. And Adamic sin has been with us ever since. This is why Jesus died on the cross. I know some of you here, and I know myself. There are times that fear sets in. Might be a big fear, might be a little fear, but fear sets in. My job's coming to an end. I fear where's the money going to come from. I do have the cancer. I fear that I'm going to die. I fear. We all have our fears. I want you to mark down this verse in 1 John 4, 17. The epistle, 1 John 4, 17. John writes and he says, Perfect love casts out all fear. I don't know how it's going to work out. I lost my mom and my dad. And I didn't want to lose them. And I'm here ministering 850 miles from California. And the frustration of not being there. But my sister and my brother, they took care of my, our parents. God is so gracious. But they went home to be with the Lord. My father-in-law went home uh, to be with the Lord. But I've never lost a son or a daughter. I've never lost a spouse. And some do. These are Christians. God gives you the strength. It's not easy. But he gives you the strength. My mom just blew everybody away. She's a strong Christian. She didn't mourn. She didn't weep. She didn't yell. In the Hispanic culture, it's, it's no one. Come on. Go for it. Jump inside the grave even. We've seen it all. My mom was rejoicing. My dad, 35 years an alcoholic, comes to saving grace. I remember at 12 years, 12 years old, my dad was just evil, beating on my mom. I said, Mom, leave dad. She goes, no, you need a dad. You need a father. Yeah, but mom, look. My mom stayed with my dad through all the pain. She came to Saving Grace. My cousins started to come to Saving Grace. Then eventually it was myself and my brother and my other sisters. And then my dad. My dad came to Saving Grace. It's only through the power of God. And I told my mom, thank you that you didn't divorce dad. And in the Hispanic culture, she said, we didn't believe in divorce. Te casates, te fregates. You guys can translate for the others. That's what my mom used to say. Peace be unto you. Look at verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But I want you to see something, the significance of showing the hand to the disciples. We understand the hand. You hold it up, and we have a wrist. In the Greek, there is no wrist. It's one. And we see all the pictures. We see all the crucifix. And the nail is in the palm of the hand. It can't happen, medically speaking. It can't happen. They estimate that Jesus weighed at least 180 pounds, if, if not less or more. And if the nails would have been there, they would have come through. But there's hinges right here. And you can feel them. They've done excavations and they've, they see the hands. And sometimes the nails are still in them. And it would just grab you and you would not fall. 
That's the crucifixion. These guys saw it. These guys saw it. Jesus is right in their midst. He showed them his hands and his side. In verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, this is the second time, a peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Go ye therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they need assurance of peace. You know, it's interesting. We're always speaking about peace in the world. (coughs) Excuse me. We hear about peace in the Middle East, and it just doesn't happen, does it? The world offers peace, but it's plastic. The world offers peace, but it's temporal. But the peace that Jesus offers, listen, it's the peace that passes all understanding. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what you're going through, peace to you. And then we come to verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Listen to this. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe this is a preview of what's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But he's showing them so when the time comes, they will know. And we know that in Joel chapter 2, 700 years before Christ, Joel gave a prophecy the Holy Spirit would come. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, Peter quotes Joel chapter 2. They were never the same. After that, they were never the same. And a rushing mighty wind came, cloven tongues of fire in the 120. They were all speaking in tongues, uh, 17 or 18 different dialects that were hearing uh, the wonderful works of God. I'm not against speaking in tongues, but I believe strongly that it's a prayer language. But so many times people turn it into a, a prophecy. When the tongues are spoken, there should be an interpretation. And the interpretation generally should be the wonderful works of God. And so in verse 23, now if you forgive the sins, now pick up on this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. This is to the disciples. You're going to go preach now. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, how do you translate that? Because please do not come to me and say, Pastor Bob, I want to confess my sins. Would you hear them? Uh, No, I don't need to hear your sins. And you don't need to hear my sins. You don't need to go to any man and confess your sins. Now, if you did somebody wrong and you feel led by the Spirit, go speak to them with love and compassion and grace and say to them, please forgive me. But if you come to saving grace, you come to the born-again experience, and then you, you tell me, now what's happened to me? I can tell you now, your sins are forgiven. But if you don't come to saving grace... You don't come to the cross. You're not born again of the Holy Spirit. And you come to me and you say, I'm a good person. I think I'm going to heaven. I can tell you now. No, you're not. Your sins are still there. Because you haven't come to the cross. I can't forgive you. Neither can any of the other leadership. But Christ can. That's what we've been studying all week. His blood was emptied for me. His blood was emptied for you. 
He was beaten for me. He was beaten for you. He was crucified for you, for me. When we placed those nails on Friday, you could hear the pounding. Each person putting their own nail. What a, I mean, what a picture here. Please don't go around telling people you can forgive their sins. Go to Pastor Bob. He'll forgive your sin. No, Pastor Bob will tell you, you need to go to the cross. And then I'll tell you after your sins are forgiven. That's what he's saying here. Now, we come to this beautiful brother we know as Thomas, the doubter, and we kind of rag on him. Oh, Thomas, you have no faith. Oh, how many times have I fit this description? How many times have you fit this description? In verse 24, now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Don't raise your hand. But how many of us have had doubts? The word to have a doubt means to be without faith, to be faithless. And yet Jesus says, have mustard seed faith, the most the smallest seed. You can move a mountain. Faith. Faith. And these guys are struggling with it. Thomas, he doesn't, he's not there. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and put my hand into his side, I am not going to believe. Oh, how many times I hear testimonies and witnesses witnessing of people, and they say, well, you know, if God died for me, why doesn't he put it on the wall of my bedroom? I died for George. I died for Mary. I died for Fred, whatever the name is. You want Jesus to write on the wall when he's giving you 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. It's in here. I'll tell you, he's going to speak to you And if you want this on the wall, then put it on the wall. Keep flipping the pages. He's going to speak to you. The Word of God is powerful, and it's sharp like a two-edged sword. But Thomas says, unless, unless I see. Now Jesus is going to come back because look look at verse 26. And after eight days, not just the next day or two days, but eight days later, the number eight in Scripture's new beginnings. His disciples were again inside and Thomas with them at this time. Jesus came. The doors are shut. And he stood in the midst of them. He went right through them. And this is the third time. Peace uh, to you. In, In verse 19, verse 21, and verse 26, three times he speaks about peace. Why? Because they were fearful there was so much fear there. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, I love this. Thomas, reach your fingers here and look at my hands and reach your, your hand here and put it into my side. And Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be faithless, but have faith. In Hebrews, listen to this. In Chapter 11, verse 6, it's called the faith chapter. It's impossible to please God without faith. You have to have faith in Christ. I have faith that he died on the cross for me. I have faith that he was buried, and then the third day he rose again from the dead. 
I have faith that his blood washes me afresh and acclaimed today as it did then. Have you ever thought of Simon of Cyrene when he carried the cross of Christ? Because Jesus kept falling, kept falling. The Roman soldiers called out this big black man, Simon of Cyrene. It's the area of Africa. I believe he's a big man because he had to carry that cross. And the cross of Christ that was bloodied was now placed on Simon's shoulders. I believe we'll see Simon in heaven. We will see Simon in heaven. Reach and touch the nail prints and decide where the spear went in, where water and blood came out. The, medically speaking, we're told that Jesus died of a ruptured heart or he died of a broken heart for the sins of mankind. In verse 28, you have to love Thomas. The light bulb finally goes on. And Thomas answered and he said to him, My Lord and my God, Tom, Thomas called Jesus God, acknowledged his deity, And again, we dealt with the deity of Christ back in John chapter 1, the incarnate God. He calls him master, and he calls him God. Let's finish up our text. Now, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. How do we believe? But by studying the scriptures. How do we get faith? But by studying the scriptures. In Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you read, the more you study, the more you meditate on God's word, he's going to speak to you, he's going to minister to you, and he's going to show you the way. I struggled in all of my upbringing of my tradition. And when I read, you must be born again, how? What do you mean? I was water baptized. That's all I need. No, you must come to the cross. You must come to the cross. You learn that by going through the scriptures. The conclusion here, 30 and 31, and truly Jesus did many other signs and wonders in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. One of my commentaries tells me out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of a three and a half year span of ministry, we have 35 miracles recorded. There, there should have been a whole much, much more that weren't recorded. 35 miracles, signs, and wonders. Do they bring you to the cross? Not always. But it's the power of God's Spirit that brings you to the cross. In verse 31, and these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Christos, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and that believing you may have life in His name. Get into the Word, church. In 2 Timothy uh, 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Right now, we're going through the... We had already completed the Gospel of John. And we're currently in the book of Acts. And on Wednesday nights, we're currently in 2 Samuel. We started back in John chapter 1. We started back in Genesis chapter 1. And you go through it. You can't miss. I don't pick out purposely what to teach. We hit everything as we go along. You cannot go wrong with the Word of God. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that rightfully divides the word of truth. The Amplified Bible and the King James says study. Most of your translations say be diligent. And that's what we do. That's what it's all about. That's what we're celebrating here this morning. And and I'm going to beg you by the mercies of God, don't leave here without Christ. If you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, today is the day of your salvation. If you're in a backslidden condition, today is the day that you come back to the sheepfold. The Bible says Jesus left the 99 sheep and he went after the one. He went after the one. And and many times when you, you study shepherds, in the time of the Old Testament, I don't know if they still use the technique today, but when the certain sheep just kept running away, eventually the shepherd says, sorry, but I have to do this. He would break a leg, put the little sheep around the neck, and he had to believe and trust the shepherd for everything. The concept, once that leg healed, that sheep would never, ever leave the shepherd in the last 30 plus years of this ministry, I've seen God break a lot of legs. Some of them have been mine. He will do whatever needs to be done. I get the phone calls, Pastor Bob, I'm in ICU. Come and pray for me. When I get there, they said, before you pray, I need to get right with God. That's why I'm here. Whatever it takes, come to the cross. Pastor Cliff will be up here, and I'm going to ask one of the ladies from our church to be up here. And if you want, come on up, and they will be glad to say the sinner's prayer with you or to rededicate that life either way. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. (coughs) Thank you, Lord. Lila, would you come up here for the ladies, please? And then Pastor Cliff will be up here. Let us pray. Father... We give you praise and honor and glory and worship. And we stand in awe of your promises, Lord. We celebrate a special day today. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And no wonder Mary wanted to cling to him and not to let go. But Mary, I have to let him go. Mary, let me go. I have to ascend into heaven. But I will send back the the promise, the comforter, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to the hearts of those here. If they are not born again of the Holy Spirit, today is the day. If they're backslidden, today is the day. The prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, you need to come back to your first love, which is Christ. Father, bless them. Bless them and anoint them, Lord. Lord, bless Jan. Today's her birthday, a special day. She's had cancer for so many years, and yet you've kept it dormant, Lord. Bless her as she continues to celebrate birthdays, Lord, in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, to bless the offerings. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. It's in Christ's name we pray. And we all agree by saying, amen, amen. The ushers are going to come if you'd like to.